Well, hey, good morning, Browns Bridge Church. Uh, nice to meet you. If we haven't met, my name's Heath, and uh, I get the honor and privilege of leading The Living Room, which is the uh, ministry to our college students and college-aged young adults. And before that, I spent five years uh, working with Inside Out, which is our ministry uh, to high school students and their families. Shout out to all my Inside Out friends. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, hey, I'm so excited that you guys are here for week three of our series, uh, Check Your Heart. Um, which if, if you haven't been here, uh, we've been in the last couple of weeks about how we can uh, check on to see what is going on in our heart because out of our heart flows all of life. Now, um, like I said, uh, you may not know me, we may have just met for the first time, but uh, to tell you a little bit about myself, um, my wife, Erin, and I moved to uh, this area about almost six years ago now. Um, and we've been living in this area. We, and about a year and a half ago, we had a little boy. Uh, his name is Duncan. And we are expecting another little boy in January. So we have a lot of really cool stuff that's going on in our life. A lot of really important memories tied to uh, this place and this area. So thank you for being a place that we can call home and a place that treats us like family. Um, when it comes to having kids, I don't know how you guys are, but when we first had a kid, I had no idea what was going on. And I had no idea how much stuff came with having kids. It, it blew my mind how just there's so much stuff that you need to have a kid. And if, you, if you've had a kid recently, I feel like the, the stuff just keeps getting longer and longer. And, and like many new, t- new parents, uh, I had no idea what we needed or what kind of thing that we needed. Uh, you know, there's so many different types and brands of baby monitors and cribs and car seats and toys and bottles and all this stuff that I just couldn't keep track of. So like probably many of you in the room, I decided to do a little online research and figure out what the best products are. So what I would do is I would go on and read like reviews, right? Review, read reviews, of people who've had these products, they've tried them out and they've gone online and they've said, hey, this product is great. This is why you should buy it. Or this product is not great. This is why you should avoid it. And, and I learned a lot. <clears throat> and so in doing so, I don't know if, if you've ever done this, but I also kind of get sometimes sucked into the more products like this. And if you click that enough times in a row, you've kind of gone off like a whole different tangent, a whole different side of online shopping. And you're now no longer looking for stuff that you need or stuff that you might one day buy. You're just looking at weird stuff that you're like, I didn't know that they made this. I, I didn't know this was a need. And if, if you've ever done that, or if you haven't ever done that, you're in a good place this morning because uh, <clears throat> I did that for us. And I want you to look at a couple of them with me. I'll start off with the, the first one, which goes into uh, the kind of the vein of baby stuff. I found this product, uh, which is kind of like a baby Swiffer. It's like a little onesie that has like a mop on it, which when my little guy was crawling around, that could have been really useful. And as good as interesting as the product is, the reviews are just as great. I found one review from a guy named Victor. Victor said, my floors have never been cleaner. The only problem is that my child has outgrown the suit and I'm having to rent children from the neighborhood to keep my floors clean. (laughs) If that's you, we got plenty of little kids at my house. Come talk to me after the service. I would love for you to pay me to babysit my kid. That would be fantastic. Uh, We could figure something out. But it's not just baby products. There's a lot of stuff that you can find online that is is weird or has hilarious reviews. Um, If there's anybody that has already started their online shopping and they started to to try to buy for people that are tough to buy, maybe you've gone the route of looking for something for somebody with a sweet tooth. And a couple years ago, this product really took off online for their amazing reviews. But sugar-free gummy bears, if you've never read the reviews for those, uh, they are a wild time. Uh, on, the, uh, on the bag, it's prescribed that you only have one to two of these. They're very specific for one to two because if you have more than that, it really messes up your digestive tract. Um, <laughs> one online reviewer named Aaron said this, I ate six of these to aid in digestion. The good news is my digestive system is back on track. The bad news is I will never eat another gummy bear in my life and I may have flushed part of my soul down the toilet. So 
That was one of the more PG versions of it. It gets a lot more explicit and a lot more uh, graphic and stuff that I can't read on stage in church. But uh, yeah, there, maybe you can look into some sweets. Maybe if you're buying this as a gift, stick with the regular sugar-filled gummy bears and just let them die after the holidays like the rest of us. So um, another product, sometimes it's hard to buy for, for people in your life. Sometimes it's hard to buy for uh, the men in your life. You know, they, they, they're really tough to buy for. I remember as a kid, uh, I got one year for Christmas, I was given like my very first pocket knife. And I thought that was so cool. And I, I remember getting a, a pocket knife, my first pocket knife for Christmas. But it was nothing in comparison to this Swiss army knife that I found online, which apparently has the most gadgets and arms and extra functions of any knife ever created in the history of mankind. Uh, one reviewer uh, said this, he simply stated he's a fan. <clears throat> he said, I tried to file my nails, but in the process, I accidentally fixed a small engine that was nearby, <laughs> which was nice. So uh, if you have somebody that's really difficult to buy for, give this uh, Swiss army knife a shot. It apparently has more, many more functions than even we can see with our eyes. Uh, and, the, and the further you dig into these crazy reviews, you can really get into some weird stuff. And I just found out recently, and, and maybe some of you guys knew this, I hope you didn't, but maybe some of you guys already knew this. Uh, you can actually buy caskets on Amazon. Did you guys know this? That was mind blowing to me, but not as mind blowing as this review. <laughs> One guy who didn't put his name for good reason says, haven't heard a single peep from grandma since she received this. So I felt like if, uh, if you're in the market for a casket, you can browse Amazon and read some of the reviews. Uh, I don't know how that works, but knock yourself out, folks. Uh, the best part about reviews is reviews are great because they try to help us figure out what the best product for us is. If you're shopping online or you're trying to figure out what products you wanna buy or maybe what gift you wanna buy for Christmas, uh, a lot of times reading what other people have experienced helps you to answer this very important question of, hey, what's best for me? Oftentimes when we're shopping online and we're reading reviews, we're trying to answer the question, what's best for me? Because like everybody else, we want the best product at the lowest possible price and to get to our house as soon as possible, right? Like that's the reason that we all pay for Amazon Prime and things like that is because we want the best product at the lowest price and to get it to our house as soon as possible. Especially, especially those of you who start Christmas shopping on like December 22nd. So we want those, these products to get to us as soon as possible. We're trying to answer the question, what's the best product or good or service for me? The problem is, is that oftentimes this mindset kind of begins to creep into matters of faith. We begin to take that consumeristic mindset and we apply it to our faith world. And so while I was digging around and reading funny online reviews, I decided, because I'm crazy, I decided that I would read what some of the reviews for our church and some of our other local Atlanta churches look like. And boy, did they not disappoint. Uh, the very first one that I'm gonna share with you guys from a guy just says he's a local guide. He gave us five stars. Very big parking lot, great to practice driving. <laughs> I sent this into Adam and I was like, should we change our mission statement? Is that what we're, is that what we're going for here at Brownsbridge? I don't, I don't think it is, but uh, you know, it's good to get a five-star review regardless of how you get it, you know? So um, great for practicing driving. If you have teenage kids, bring them around here, let them drive. It's, it's a great, great spot to practice driving and parking. Uh, the thing, it, it went downhill from there. I'm gonna be honest with you, it got worse. Um, one Google user said this, the worship leader looked like he just got through mowing the yard, which luckily this was a long time ago. This wasn't a reflection of Alex and Joy and Brett. They looked lovely this morning. Uh, but yeah, I mean, people bring that consumeristic mindset. They have a, 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 an idea in their head what church should look like, what the worship leaders, people like this, the, us that are on stage, what we should dress like. And they bring that expectation into the church because they're like, hey, this is what I expect to see. But it's not just the worship leaders. Uh, some people like this guy said, thanks for screwing up traffic for us heathens every Sunday. 
And I want to just be like, hey, listen, it's G dot. Like we're, we're doing the best we can. You know, it's not, it's not on us, but this was three years ago. So they hadn't even, well, anyways, but you know, it's, it's, they bring that consumeristic mindset, even if they don't even step foot in our church, it's just like dealing with the, the, the vicinity. Sometimes that mindset creeps in. And the last one is from a lady named Rose. This is my favorite one. She said, one star review again, very disappointed. This so-called Christian church had no cross or other depictions of Christ, no quiet reflective time for prayer, nor sacred or seasonal Christmas music. I felt like I had been to a rock concert slash lecture, not church. On a positive note, the people were most kind and helpful, will not be going back. And I read that and I was like, oh, 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 the people were most kind and helpful. That's exactly what we're going for here. That's the exact kind of church that we want to be. Sometimes that consumeristic mindset creeps in. And even though things don't look like the way you want them to, uh, even when we get it right, we get it wrong sometimes. Uh, I started thinking about that today because in our series, Check Your Heart, we've looked at this verse from King Solomon. It's from Proverbs chapter four. And Solomon says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. If you're here week one, we talked about uh, the words that we say are a reflection of what is in our heart. If you're here last week, Adam led us through uh, what our heart treasures is, is where our heart is, or what we treasure is where our heart will be also. And so throughout the series, we kind of looked at our heart and how we can guard our heart and how we can make our heart oriented and, and around the right thing. And today I wanna continue that uh, by asking this question, what moves your heart? You see, so often when it comes to the consumeristic thing, when we're reading product reviews and you know, uh, reading church reviews and stuff like that, people are asking the question, what's best for me? So what often moves people's heart is whatever the good product or service that's best for them is. But in reality, I think that if Jesus was here and if Jesus was teaching this lecture at this rock concert, he would say that uh, what moves your heart is not supposed to be what's best for you. What moves our heart actually should be what is best for others. Instead of saying, what's best for me, I should say, what's best for the person sitting next to me, the person behind me, the person in front of me? What's best for everyone else besides me? And I feel like he illustrates this so well in a very famous parable that he tells. It's a parable that if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this a million times. It's the the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the context of what's going on around the parable of the Good Samaritan is, is pretty important as well. And if you're not familiar with church, you haven't been in church a long time, maybe this is your first time or your first time back in a while. The parable of the Good Samaritan is a very famous passage where Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan. Anytime someone in our society does something kind for a stranger, they're often nicknamed or called a a good Samaritan. So it's a story that you'll probably relate to or at least have more familiarity with, even if the the name of it doesn't ring a bell right away. So in Luke chapter 10, this is what uh, the the setting shows. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he stands up and, and asks Jesus, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's a question rooted in what's best for me. Hey, I, I need to know what are the things I need to do? What are the boxes I need to check? What are the, the tasks I need to complete so that I can earn, gain, receive eternal life? Right out of the gate, his question is a little bit off-centered because he's asking, hey, Jesus, what is best for me? What do I need to do to make sure my eternity is secure? Jesus being the master teacher that he is <laughs> doesn't answer his question and, and instead turns the, the, the question back on the expert lawyer. And, and lawyer in this case is not as much like a lawyer like we think of it, like in the legal system, but a lawyer, an expert in the, the Jewish religion and the, the laws of their faith. And so Jesus turns the question back on him in the next verse. He says, well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? <laughs> You're the expert. You tell me what, what is, you know, the way to, to, what do you need to do to inherit eternal life? In verse 27, the, the law expert answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as 
yourself? He gives a great answer. And in fact, uh, the answer that he gives, some people debate on, you know, whether or not it was a, a, he was quoting Jesus because in the gospel of Mark, uh, the, the people come and ask Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is, is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So some people think he's actually quoting Jesus to Jesus. And other people say, well, it, it's actually just a great summary of what, the, the, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures teach. The first part, the loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind is a summary of Deuteronomy chapter six. So he's kind of summarizing a big piece there that almost all good uh, Jewish devout uh, Jewish followers would have known that passage. And, And the second one, he's quoting from Leviticus when he says to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's a really good summary. And in fact, Jesus compliments him. He's like, man, you nailed it. You got the answer correctly. In verse 28, Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. I think it's interesting that Jesus says, yeah, all you have to do to have eternal life is to love God perfectly and love others like you love yourself. It's, it's to, to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your minds, all day, every day, 24 seven, year in and year out, without exception. Do that and love your neighbor as yourself and you'll inherit eternal life. It's almost a tongue in cheek answer that Jesus gives back to the expert in the law. He's like, yeah, that's all you have to do is to live a good and perfect life. Now, I won't ask the room to do this, but if I were to ask the room for a show of hands, how many of you feel like this week, just this week, not your whole life, not in the past year, just this week, you feel like you have perfectly loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all of your mind? Okay, I see some of you spent Thanksgiving with your families as well. That's great. If, <clears throat> how many of you also loved your neighbor as yourself? How many of you, instead of asking what's best for me, a hundred times out of a hundred, every single time ask, hey, what's best for everybody else around me? We don't do this. In fact, when Jesus says, yeah, all you have to do is that, he's almost kind of giving, like I said, a tongue in cheek response. But it goes right over the expert in the law's head because the next verse, he says this, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to prove himself. He wanted to show that he was righteous. He wanted to show Jesus, I'm doing this. I do love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm, I am perfect in that way. And just so that I'm making sure that my bases are covered, I want to make sure who my neighbors are. Because, you know, if someone says that they're loving God perfectly in every way, it's really hard for us to to measure that and to say that they're not, right? Because we're not God. So really God's the only one that can answer that. But the second one's important because other people can speak into that. And so he wants to justify himself. He wants to prove himself. So he, he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? What is the minimum requirements for who I'm supposed to love as myself? And instead of giving a clear and direct answer, Jesus tells him a story. It's a very famous story. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's what it says, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So Jesus tells a story about a man who was, who was you know, jumped and, and beaten. And, and after he tells the story, kind of sets the scene for what's, what's happened. He introduces us to the characters of the story. So in verses 31 and 32, it says this. Now a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. And I think it's really important to to notice that the the priest and the Levite, they were Jewish religious leaders. They were like the law expert high up in the faith system, in the faith dynamic of the Jewish uh, Temple there, and so the, the priest would have been like a you know a pastor, some kind of like church staff person. The, the the Levite would have been kind of a junior staffer, someone who's kind of working their way up, trying to to, to make it in the religious system. And so he says, these two people come come across this man who's robbed and beaten and laying naked in the middle of the road, and they pass by to the other side. 
And for years I've heard this story taught and, and, and uh, the challenge is to not be like them, to not be like them, to not be like them. And I get that that's the reason, but if we were honest, wouldn't we do the same thing? A little context, the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a 17 mile walk downhill and it kind of has all these crazy switchbacks and stuff. And it was actually a, a route that was known as the pass of blood that it was known for people hiding and doing exactly what happens in the scene that Jesus sets is that people would jump out and they would rob people for all they have while they were walking down this path because it was so steep. There was nearly nowhere to run, nowhere to get away. So thieves would hide, wait for people, uh, pastor buyers to come by and they would you know, kind of jump them and, and rob them and beat them for all they had on them. So it's a context. In fact, the people listening to the story probably knew somebody that this had happened to. And so they hear this story and then they hear the, the priest and the Levi, the, the good religious leaders of their day come by and they see this happening and they pass by on the other side. And the details that Jesus provide are extremely important. It says that they were robbed and beaten. So that means that there are thieves in the area. If you were to come up upon a place where you know thieves are and you see people who have been robbed and beaten, you and I both would probably do our best to get out of there as soon as possible. Why? Because it's not safe. It's not safe to stop and help somebody because now you're putting yourself in harm's way and you're hanging out at the scene of the crime and almost dangling bait in front of the robbers. They're like, hey, come do it again. You know, here's round two. So they see this and they're like, I gotta get out of here. And the second piece is just as important too is because they pass by on the other side. They, they have some place to go. The, the man laying on the side of the road, he's described as half dead. Now for a priest and a Levite, that would, piece would have been very, very important because if they were to stop and to care for him and they were to put themselves at risk and put themselves in harm way to, 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 to care for his wounds and to nurse him, then if that man were to die in their arms, well, now they would be ruled ceremoniously unclean. They would have had to go back to Jerusalem and go through all these rituals and cleansings and all this kind of stuff. Whatever appointment they had in Jericho, whatever uh, meeting that they were headed to, whatever their, their, their business was in going to Jericho was gonna have to be put on delay and they don't have cell phones to pick up and call people. So they were going to miss their appointment. They were gonna let somebody else down to stop and help, especially if the person were to pass because then they have to go through all the, the, the rituals and stuff. So they see this person and they kind of make a split second decision, a split second decision like you and I probably often would make in the same moment to say, I'm just gonna keep moving. I hate it for him. That really stinks, but I've got someplace I need to be. So they pass by and they're on the other side. The people listening to the story probably wouldn't have thought that much of what's happened so far until the third character, or fourth character, I guess, in the story comes along, a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. It's very interesting that Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. It's well documented that, that they had a lot of differences, religious and cultural differences. The Jews viewed the Samaritans as kind of half-breeds because at one point in time, they started marrying outside of the faith. And so they, they viewed that they were like ruining the Jewish traditions and faith and, and the, they, they didn't like each other. They had all these disagreements and they, would, they had no business associations, no social or cultural association with each other. They disliked each other. So when a Samaritan man comes along and takes pity on the Jewish man who's been robbed and beaten in the middle of the street, it probably would have been a, a gasp in the room. There probably would have been people who were taken aback that the hero of the story is gonna be a Samaritan man. And Jesus tells them more that what he does after he sees him and takes pity on him. He says, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So not only does he see the man there and have pity on him, but he's gonna do something about it. He does what the priest and the Levite are not willing to do is that he stops and he puts himself in harm's way and he picks the man up, puts him on his own donkey, walks him back to town. So he's now gonna miss whatever business he had in Jericho. He walks him to an end and he begins to, to take care of him. In fact, he begins to put his money where his mouth is. The next verse says this, 
The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So he takes him to an inn and he gives him what's equivalent to like a month's rent. To be like, hey, this should get this guy safe. Let him heal here. Take care of any needs he has. Door dash him food. You know, call the doctor if he needs a doctor. I want you to take care of all of his needs. No expense spared. And when I come back in town, I'll reimburse you for everything that you've paid. He, he, he puts his own money up for the man and opens a line of credit to continue the care for the man even after he leaves. And for years and years, I've heard this story and I thought it was fascinating that, that the Samaritan man does all this for somebody who's a stranger to him. And it would have been just as crazy for the people who've heard the story as well, because the, the story ends back to Jesus and the law expert. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked the man. So he tells a story and he's like, hey, you wanna know who your neighbor is? Who do you think the neighbor was to this man? The law expert answers Jesus, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I think it's so fascinating. The law expert wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. He just says the one who had mercy on him. The air was probably sucked out of the room after Jesus had told that story. And everybody's just kind of looking around and, and wondering why would, why would Jesus tell the story? And, and for years and years, I've heard this story taught in churches and in settings, small groups and Bible studies and, and situations like this that we're in right now. And over and over again, I've, I've heard and I've been told to be like the good Samaritan, to be like the good Samaritan, to be like the good Samaritan. Don't be like the priest and the Levite where we overlook people and pass by, but be like the good Samaritan. And I, while I agree with that sentiment, I think it's hundred percent true. As I was studying and preparing for this, I, I, I came across something that kind of stopped me in my tracks. And what it was is essentially that the reason that we can be like the good Samaritan is because I don't think that in the story, Jesus intended for us to see ourselves as the good Samaritan or the priest or the Levite. I think the one that Jesus wanted us to see ourselves as in the story is the man laying in the side of the road the man who was hopeless to help himself, the man who could do nothing to fix himself or to nurse himself back to health. And so he was dependent on the kindness of strangers to take care of him. And I believe that in the story, Jesus is the one who's the true and better good Samaritan, that Jesus is the one that comes along to us in our lives. He's the one that finds us in our brokenness. He's the one that finds us laying, you know, proverbially in the middle of the road with no one to help us. He's the one that nurses us back to health, to get us back on our feet. He's the one that rescues us by putting himself in harm's way and taking our burdens onto himself. Jesus is the hero of the story. We are the victim in the, the, the context of the one who was robbed and beaten. And I, th I think that's really important because while we're told time and time again to be like the good Samaritan, to be like good Samaritan, be like the good Samaritan, you can only be like the good Samaritan if you have had that moment, if you've been rescued like that. Think about the man in the story. It's a fictional story. Jesus is, is, is making up a story that he's telling them, but think about the man in that story. Every single time he walks from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's gonna have his eyes peeled, not only for robbers, but also for anybody else who's walking a road similar to the one that he had to walk. And if he were to find somebody in a similar vulnerable position, just like him, how much more compelled is he gonna be to stop and help them because of the kindness of a stranger who did that for him? To summarize, essentially, we can only extend what we've received in abundance. We can only be like the Good Samaritan once we've been the victim in the road who's been nursed back to help by a Good Samaritan. We can only extend love and mercy and grace and compassion to the people that we find in our lives when we have received in abundance love and mercy and grace and compassion from our Heavenly Father. When we accept what Jesus did for us, then we can begin to live out the principles that He invites us to. 
And so in the interaction with the expert of the law, you know, he's like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, hey, I think you're missing the point. The point is not what you need to do. The point is what's already been done for you. And when you accept and embrace what's been done for you, then you can begin to live out what Jesus wants us to do. And so what Jesus does is he gives the expert, the teacher in the law, a new rule. He doesn't give him a new rule to follow, but he gives him a new reality to live by. You see, the the expert in the law wanted to know who my neighbor was. What's my circle? What's the minimum requirements? What's the, the lowest common denominator of the people I need to love? Is it my family? Is it my friends? Is it my physical neighbors? Is it the people who live next door to me? Is it the, the people, my coworkers who I work with? Like who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, I'm not gonna give you another rule that you can act like you're checking the box. I'm not gonna give you another rule that you can pretend like you can do because you already think you're living a perfect and good life. I'm gonna change the whole dynamic of your question. I'm gonna give you a new reality to live by. And the same invitation comes to us is that when, when Jesus finds you, when Jesus comes into your life and when, when you invite him into your world, he finds you as you are, broken, carrying your burdens, full of sin, and he nurses you back to health. And then he invites you to live a life of love for others, changing the question instead of what's best for me to, hey, what's best for everybody around me? And we can begin to do that because we've received an abundance. And then therefore we can begin to extend that to the people that God places in our life. John says it this way in 1 John 4, 19, he says that we love because he first loved us. That we, because we've experienced Jesus's love, because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the, the, the life change that he does in your life, then and only then can you begin to change your heart from what's best for me to what's best for others. In fact, I believe it to be true that, that Jesus's love doesn't just invite us to that. His love compels us to show the same love to others. That word compels is almost like, it's like a force. It's like, I, I can't stop myself. I can't, I can't help myself from loving other people. When you've been rescued, when you've been redeemed, when you've been you know, set free in, this, in the same kind of way that Jesus does for you, you want to find that in other people. You want to do for others what he's done so mercifully and so graciously for you. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter five. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If you believe that Jesus came down and died on the cross for your sins, then it frees you up to begin to live not only for him, but to be able to live like him. To be able to live in such a way that you take other people's burdens on yourself and you go out of your way to care for people who are hurting, who are broken, who are far from God. You go out of your way to do for people what God through Jesus did for you. I think one of the most amazing pieces of the, the Good Samaritan story is it's a, it's a throwaway line in there is that when the Good Samaritan stumbles upon the man laying there, beaten, naked, in the road, clinging to life, it says that he, the NIV says that he takes pity on him. Other translations, maybe you, you read a different translation. Some say he had compassion on him. My favorite translation is the, the original Greek word. My favorite translation of it is that his gut wrenched for him. And I believe that to be exactly what's happened because when you have compassion for somebody, it is that heart sinking into your stomach feeling of I have to do something. I can't stop myself. And I believe that compassion for others is not as much an action you choose, but rather an emotion that you can't control. It's that feeling of like, I have to do something. Maybe you've you've encountered something in your life where you're like, I can't just keep moving. I have to stop and help. I have to stop and do something. I have to intervene because of this gut-wrenching compassion that you have in your heart. That's essentially what the Good Samaritan does. That's what Jesus invites 
us to. I don't know about you, but I don't have that compassion, that gut-wrenching feeling often in my life. But I did recently. In fact, a few weeks ago, I told you guys earlier about my, my little boy, uh, Duncan. He's a year and a half old. And he had a little fall and he, he broke his leg just right above his ankle right there. Had to break his leg. I've got a picture. You can see his little cast. That's adorable. I know. So sad. And what was heartbreaking about it was he doesn't understand, right? Like I, I remember sitting there holding him while they're wrapping him and putting his cast on him. And he doesn't understand what's happening. He doesn't get the x-ray. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't get the cast. All he knows is his foot hurts. And I, I kept wondering in my mind, I was like, does he think this is gonna be forever? Does he think he's gonna have to wear this forever? He can't do all the things that he likes to do and run and play and go down the slide and all the stuff. Like, is, is this what he's thinking? And in that moment, my heart was so burdened and broken for him. And I just remember thinking like, God, if there was a way, I'll take it. Like, I'll take the broken leg for him. I'll let my leg be broken. Let his be okay. We can't swap legs because that wouldn't fit. But you know, you get the idea. Like I would take the, if I could have my leg broken for his to be okay, I was like, I'll do it, God. Like in that moment of watching that and, and him not understanding, my heart is just tearing, that gut-wrenching compassion feeling. And in it, I was blown away that I feel like, you know, I don't hear God's voice audibly. I have never heard that, but I feel like God speaking to me is like, hey, Heath, that is exactly what I did for you in Jesus is I took your burden, I took your pain, I took your sin and I put it on him and he took it for you. And, and I just remember thinking, I was like, wow, that, that just opened up a whole new avenue of what God did for me in my life. And it should make me, it should motivate me to want to look for opportunities to do that for others. If he can take my burden and take my pain, just like I wanted to take Duncan's out, off of his leg. If God did that for me, how much more should I be looking to do that for others? You see, I believe that God does not want more rule followers. I think that was where the expert in the law went wrong in the story of the Good Samaritan is that he thought he was something else he needed to do to please God, to earn his standing before God, to earn his eternal life, to justify himself. He wanted another rule to follow. So he was searching and probing Jesus, testing Jesus to see if there was something that Jesus had for him that maybe he didn't know yet. Instead, I think that God wants people to love like he loves. It's not about following a rule. It's not about doing another thing, not checking another box. It's not about the minimum requirements. It's about loving others the way God in Jesus loves you. Now, I know that in our head, we know that we're, maybe we know we're supposed to do this. Just like so many things in this series, we know we're supposed to watch our words. We know we're supposed to treasure things in heaven rather than on earth. We know we're supposed to love people like Jesus loves people. But do we do it? Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 25, he said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The invitation that Jesus has for us is to love others because that's the best way that we can love him. And if he gave his life for you, we are compelled, we are drawn, our guts should wrench to instead ask the question, what's best for me? We should instead be asking the question, what's best for others? What can I do to love people in the same way that I've been loved by Jesus. Throughout the series, we've been talking about how we can guard our hearts through our words, through our treasures, 
This morning, I believe that we guard our hearts by loving others like Jesus loves them. If you want your heart to be something that flows all of life from you, you should go out of your way to love people like Jesus does. And that's easier said than done. And we know, it, we know we're supposed to, but sometimes it's hard to live that out. So three ways this week that you can begin to practice out guarding your heart by loving others like Jesus. Number one, accept Jesus's neighboring of you. Accept that what Jesus did for you, he came and found you in your broken and vulnerable state. And he bur- took your burdens on himself and he went to the cross and died for you because he loves you. He's not giving you another rule to follow. He's giving you a freedom to love others in the same way that you've been loved. Secondly, avoid doing only the minimum requirements. We shouldn't be asking who our neighbor is. A better question is who's not my neighbor? How are the people that God wants me to love this week? Who are the people that I can move towards this week to show them the love that I have received in abundance? And lastly, abolish excuses. Hey, listen, we're all busy We all have limited time, limited resources. We all have a lot going on. It's the Christmas season. The next month is only gonna get crazier and busier in all of our lives. But this week, how can you go out of your way to create some margin in your life, to create some time, to create some some extra margin in your resources to begin to take care of people that may be overlooked, to begin to take care of people that everybody else seems to pass by on the other side, to begin to take care of people that even you yourself are often tempted to make excuses for. What can you do to begin to see people like Jesus sees them. That's your challenge and your invitation today. Because I believe the best way that we can uh, answer the question of what's best for others is to align our hearts, to align what breaks our hearts, to align what motivates our hearts, to align what moves our hearts with the things that break Jesus's heart, that move his heart, and the things that ultimately Jesus loves, which is others. Today, as we close up, we're gonna sing a song. And uh, as we're singing the song, I want you to be reflective a little bit. I want you to kind of contemplate in your own life. Hey, who are the people that God has placed in my life that I can go out of my way to show love and care for this week? Who are the people that God has placed in my life, whether it's, it's family or friends, maybe it's your physical neighbors, coworker, uh, the, the parents of your kids' friends, I mean, whoever it is in your life, who are the people that you can intentionally take a step towards this week? to take some kind of burden off them, to begin to show them the same kind of love, the same kind of mercy, the same kind of compassion and grace that you've received in abundance. Who are the people in your life that you can begin to show the love of Jesus to? Because if Jesus comes and he loves you exactly as he found you, broken, beat down, far from God, stranded in the middle of the road, and we received care, restoration, healing from him in abundance, how much more can we do that for others this week? The best way I believe we can do that is not to ask people to clean themselves up or to fix their life or to get things right and then we'll help them. The best thing we can do is love people as we find them. That's what Jesus did for each and every one of you. Brownsbridge, if you will, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much just for this day. Thank you for this reminder in scripture that uh, God, we always can find excuses. We can always just do the minimum to get by. We can always be the kind of people that talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. But God, I pray that this week you will open our eyes to see people as you do. God, that we would feel this challenge and that you would burden our hearts, that our guts would wrench in compassion for people this week. We go out of our way to look for people that we can help, look for people that we can enter into their world to take their burdens off, look for people that we can love 
like you love. God, give us your eyes to see, give us your ears to hear, and God, give us your hearts and allow our hearts to be moved like yours was for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.